Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. On this week's Ludini Rock and Roll Circus podcast, we will tell you all about the 10 most expensive albums ever produced. This podcast is guaranteed to make you scratch your head and ask, You paid how much for that? Get ready to rock out with your talk out. It's the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. All right, everybody, boys and girls, moms and dads, children of all ages, welcome to the circus. I am your ringmaster, your whoremaster, <laughs> and your masturbator. Oh, boy. <laughs> too much, wow. too soon. Too much, too soon. TMI, TMI. Uh, welcome, welcome back, everybody. It is a, another great Ludini Rock and Roll Circus podcast. I am your host, Ludini. Uh, also known as Lou Lombardi, also known as Ludini. Uh, we have a, a studio guest today, Pittsburgh Kevin. How you doing, everybody? So we'll be hanging out with us for a little while, and he'll be our color commentator, not our colored commentator. Wow, I knew I it was am coming. not politically correct, and it's a joke. I knew it was and if you have no sense of humor, turn the freaking podcast off right now. <clears throat> and uh, boom so, goes the dynamite. And sitting next to me in the gorgeous striped blazer and sequined tie. Is the lovely and talented Miss Lily V6. What's up? What is up, Lily V6? What is up? I got a massage last night. Now I'm dying. <laughs> wow. Because I am old now. Wrong kind of massage. <laughs> <laughs> She's dug that elbow in my hip, but I said, no, done. Oh, I, I thought maybe this kind of massage with your legs and stirrups. And no, like, not that kind either. <laughs> Bill Damiano's on, so he's going to go, what the F did I just walk into? Bill, <laughs> okay, we have a little business to talk about before we get into the whole podcast thing. Tonight's topic, of course, we're going to be talking about these really crazy expensive records. Uh, some are good, some flopped. Usually most of them, I think, sucked, but um, with the exception of a couple. This just proves that like more expensive isn't more better. <laughs> Did you say more better? More better? No, I said more betterer. Oh, betterer! Oh, even better grammar. More betterish. It's like people in Pittsburgh; they go down to Sheetzes's. 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 Sheetzes has it. Oh, Sheetzes's gas has went down today. Great. Anyhow, so those of you who aren't from Pittsburgh, you can just like r- erase that part of the podcast in your brain. Um, so before we get into uh, our today's pod- podcast topic, let's talk about, let's do a little business. First of all, my, my brother, Chris Thunderwolf Dodson, wolfscustoms.online. If you have a musical instrument that you're playing, you're getting photographed with, you're filming, you're doing videos, whatever, 
you could kind of step it up a bit if you contact wolfcustoms.online and have them do some kind of customizing to your guitar, bass, swinette, ukulele, sitar, sitar, triangle, triangle, cowbell, cowbell. Absolutely. Who doesn't love a gussied up cowbell? Of course, we all do. <laughs> so if you want if you want your cowbell gussied up, you need to go to, need to go to wolfscustoms.online. See, here's what it is, guys. Everybody's got the same boring looking guitars, whatever. So you get with these guys, they do look they can do hollow flash, they do um, like wood burning, they do all kind of really cool stuff. And now all of a sudden it kind of takes it up a notch for you. The entertainment level, the eye catching level of what you're doing goes way, way up when you contact wolfscustoms.online. Great folks. Love Chris Thunderwolf Dotson. Been a supporter of the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus for a long time. Um, <clears throat> what else do we need to tell people about? First of all, oh, 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 oh reviews. We love reviews. Um, but it's not like a Google review. In the podcast world, it's an iTunes review. So those of you that listen on iTunes, if you don't, even if you don't listen on iTunes, just go to iTunes and pull up Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. There's a, there's a uh, tab that says Rate Review. Click on that. Give us a five star. Say something nice about us, and then send us a screen cap of it. Or take a picture of whatever. Uh, send it to Lou at LouLombardiMusic.com, and you're going to get entered to win a free T-shirt at the end of April. So check. Uh, so make sure that you uh, you take care of that right away because we're trying to. Uh, we want to give away some free T-shirts. Uh, we want as many people out there walking around with Ludini Rock and Roll Circus T-shirts as possible. RockRageRadio.com. Thank you guys. We we love Rock Rage Radio. We've been a part of the Rock Rage Radio family for a couple years now. Um. Oh, and uh, we'll talk about this mid-roll. We'll talk about Rock and Pod Expo mid-roll. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um. So yeah. So that's, that's the main. I hit everything. I think you got all the okay. things. <laughs> I'm a little <clears throat> it, it, allergy season here in uh, mm-hmm. Western Pennsylvania. So uh, so that's pretty much the uh, stuff. I have an uh, I have a studio audience here, so I'm a little nervous. Um, <laughs> Nice up. <laughs> so, anyways. <laughs> so, uh, no shows or anything, Lily? Um, I'm going to a show on Saturday at Brandy's Basement at um, in Irwin. It's called Wild Street. I don't know who the opener is because they haven't announced it, but it's a $5 cover. And they are an amazing rock band, so I suggest go seeing them. Did you sacrifice, like, any small children or animals over Easter or anything? I will not say. <laughs> <laughs> Two chickens. Um, I uh, want to do just a, just a couple things. I binged the first season of Castle Rock, which is a series that was on a couple um, Hulu year or so ago, and I gotta say that eh, yeah. it, it 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 was off to a good start. It's kind of a cool idea. It's a uh, sort of a mashup of all the Stephen King stories and characters. And it just, it didn't, it didn't, I don't know, it just, eh, eh. It didn't do it for you? No, it didn't. It wasn't enough action. It was a little dragged out. And uh. the sort of resolution to the whole first season was kind of like, oh, no, I didn't really want it to go there. That's kind of silly. Oh. It just, you know. What a but disappointment. It had some great, if you, if you watch it just for the Easter eggs, there's some great Easter eggs in it. Because almost all the actors have been in other Stephen King stuff. Like Terry O'Quinn, who was in Silver Bullet. Is okay. in it, uh, uh, Bill Skarsgård, who who is in it, is is in is in this. Okay, that's cool. Um, and he's terrifying without uh, the makeup. Sissy Sissy uh, Sissy Spacek, 
Carrie, she's I in it. So her. there's just some fun stuff like that. And there's names and stuff like that. There's a uh, a lady in the series. Her name is Jackie Torrance. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> so there's things, there's, things, there's things like that in it that are fun. I like that. Um, and I might little, watch it. You, you'll see a street sign or something that some kind of reference to something in one of the novels. So if you're if you're if if you watch it for that, if that's kind of fun to do. And I was like, eh. And I saw, of course, I saw it that Thursday night. I went to the Late Show and saw Godzilla vs Kong. <laughs> nerd was it good? Yeah, it's a total nerd okay. thing. It is. It is not a good movie. <laughs> I'd just be straight up. If Keith was here, he'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. <clears throat> it's not a good movie, but it's super fun. You got see, it's basically kind of like a WWE between Kong and Godzilla. Right. The punch-ups and, you know, throwing each other down. And <clears throat> it's, it's a wacky story that makes no freaking sense. But that's not why you go to see something like that. Right. You go to see monsters, and the monsters are great. And, it's, and, th- and that's super fun. So if you like that sort of thing, you know. That's a sort of a bit of a movie review. <clears throat> but no, it's not going to win an Academy Award. It's, uh, you know. I literally thought that said Gusk in your notes. Yeah. G versus Gusk. K. <laughs> G versus I'm like, K. What the hell is that? But uh, no, and uh, yeah, so, so it's just, you know, you have to take it. You have to take it for what it is. You have to take it for what it is. Who's watching? We've got Bill Damiano. Bill Damiano. On your channel. So I don't know who else might be watching. Is that it? He's the only person watching. Well, we got four people, but oh, he's the only one responding. Oh, who's, who else is watching? We can't see. Oh. Okay. All right. Fine. Make yourselves known. Make yourselves known. Say something. Say something. Tell me something good. It's going to cost me another 20 bucks. <clears throat> okay. So uh, let's get into this thing. These crazy records that cost way too freaking much. Surprisingly to me on some of them. So. Jump me, in. Jump, me, I'll just I'll up. just bring the one you mentioned. Uh, we'll just get that guy out of the way. Guns N' Roses, Chinese Democracy from 2008. $13 million. Um, as well as my wasted time for waiting a long-ass time to hear this 14 album. years? Something like that. Uh, much anticipated. It was um, going to be the first new material to come out by the band since Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. And the first album since the Spaghetti Incident. Um, there was an insane amount of hired and fired musicians. Most of the original lineup quit. The only constant band members were Axel and Dizzy. Uh, there were several producers hired and let go, and they had tons of material that was put in the trash. Um, some of the money went to guitarist Buckethead having chicken coops built in the studio uh, and gimmicks like Dr. Pepper giving away uh, soda to every thirsty person to celebrate the arrival of this horrible album. Um, have you? I have not ever heard one song off of it. I only heard the leaked <clears throat> songs that were on the radio before and the album came out, and I was just like, meh. Switch. I, yeah, I, I remember somebody saying, oh, this is something from Chinese democracy, but it was very forgettable, unfortunately. Yeah. And you could never get Axel in the studio. People would be on the phone with him. He'd be ignoring the calls, never come in. So there's his salary was already paid, so what did it matter if he came in or not? But uh, they originally planned to release it in 1999. It was delayed and completely recorded in 2000. It became the most expensive rock album ever produced at that time, and Geffen pulled their funding in 2005. And then they also missed the release date for March 2007. <laughs> and then it was finally released in November 2008, uh, like I said, with the leaked songs that we had heard. Um, but they uh, did debut at number three on the Billboard, and it was certified platinum. However, it did not meet the sales expectations in the United States for well, I their think happiness. People, people probably rushed out and bought to it. To buy it because they were <laughs> like, oh my yeah, gosh, wait, finally. finally. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is, this, I'm just going to make a comparison to this. And Kevin, you you remember? I'm sure when when this album came out, 
when Boston released Third Stage after umpteen years, mm-hmm. after Boston 2, uh, Don't Look Back um, was the second album. And, uh, you know, I was, to me, it was too little too late when I heard that record. I was like, yeah, okay, Cool the Engines was kind of a okay song. Amanda was a hit. But I always thought it was like a really lame song. Like I, you know, I mean, it's like it's no um, more than a feeling or peace of mind or any, you know, rock and roll band. It's nothing like any of those songs. It's you know, I, I don't know. I just thought that it just was too little. I don't think you could do that. Like the scene changes too much mm-hmm. that you get forgotten, man. I mean, so many things. Like by you know, when that got released, do you realize new metal came and went? Yeah, it was all kind yeah. of things came and went. All kind of sounds and stuff <laughs> happened and then went away. And we're still waiting on Guns and Roses. <clears throat> There's no way that that could be unless they were unless they, unless it was like actual an actual masterpiece. Unless they actually came out with Sgt. Pepper's or Dark Side of the Moon or something like that. Uh, you know, they had actually done something like that, and it really was good. But the chances of that happen. And look who's involved. I'm sorry. The most unreliable characters probably in the music business. I was um, dating, married, divorced, and moved to Miami by the time that came out. So there's that. <laughs> I, re- I was working at National Record Mart when Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out. I was in college. And those were just huge records. And they, they were deservedly so. They were really good. I mean, just, just they, it, was, it was a brilliant move what they did. And uh, they were the, like the biggest, them and Aerosmith, they were like the biggest bands in the world that weren't grunge. Yeah. They were they were staying and away from the grunge thing. They rock and roll, and they were able to do their thing. But, uh... Yeah, it was uh, just a huge... Yeah. And it just... Blah. Yeah, I mean, and that is... A, that's the real kick in the pants. And you gotta, I think we're going to find out with some of these, too. There's a there's a, there's another uh, follow-up album on this list that to, to something, and that is just, like, insanely expensive to make, and... There's one song that gets played once in a while on the radio, and that, that's about it. We'll get to that in a minute. So what do you got next on your list? <laughs> next on my list is Def Leppard's Hysteria, 1987. Total cost was $4.5 million in 1987 money. I didn't do the conversion, so I don't know what that is. But um, it was three years in the making. Uh, it reached to a point where the release date would need to sell 5 million copies to break even. Uh, this album had several delays, and it was uh, that's where the money went, was all the delays. The band had personal issues. Um that led to recording sessions being tossed out, the health issues. Um, People wow, losing Thank arms. you. Rick Allen lost his arm. Joe Elliott got the mumps. Mutt Lang had a car accident as well. So things like that sort of happened. Um, Met Shania Twain. Yeah. <laughs> Mutt's uh, recording techniques were time-consuming, and he spent months on uh, recreating drum sounds on a synthesizer. Um, in the liner notes to the album, the band apologized for the long wait between albums and promised to never force fans to wait that long between albums again. However, later events. Three years, that is not really. Considering. But that's not what the, <laughs> pod, what the podcast is about, the expensive album, not necessarily about how long, but go ahead. Yeah, but the next album was delayed five years because. Um, Those liars. Steve, Steve Clark died. <laughs> so there's that. But it did, in the end, it did sell t- uh, 25 million copies, and it is one of their most successful albums to date, if they're not most successful. So. And what kind of songs are on that record? Mostly love songs. But there's some. What my my, por- my my porn dancing? <laughs> That's not what I meant. My, porn? my stripper dancing song. <laughs> well, what's it called? Say, I'm trying to get you to say the name of the song. No. Pour some sugar on me is on that record. <laughs> That's not mine, but that is every other woman in the world's stripper song. If you go to a bar and play that song, everybody's on a chair but, or but dancing. It, the, 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 dance. Here's okay, just to compare and contrast. Okay, Third, fifteen. What is it? Thirteen million for Chinese? Yes. The Chinese 
record was 13 million. Hysteria was 3 million. Four and a half. And his, four and a half million. And way more successful, way more, like a way better album. I mean, it. my favorite Def Leppard album is Pyromania. That's my personal favorite. But I understand Hysteria. I, I get why, you know. And Mutt Lang did stuff like, you might, you'd find this interesting, Kevin, like, he would record the guitar solos one string at a time. Oh, and so there's whenever that. you were playing on that string, you they recorded that. You know, <laughs> like that's how. I mean, it just very. So he's meticulous. Is he? he was very meticulous, and he wanted the option, I believe, to kind of move things around and put things in different orders if he didn't like something later on. Um, he was a kind of like the band would play, and he would kind of assemble it later on, kind of thing. And yeah, you know, he was very nuts about the drums. But that was his thing. I mean, that the drum sound on Hysteria and Pyromania is the drum sound on that on the Cars. Um, you know, um, um, you might think oh. and all those. What was the name? That was their last big record. We talked about that record. Yeah, now it's not it's, in my head. Yeah, but uh, he was the same. You know, he he produced that. He, he had that drum sound is very was very indicative of the of the '80s. That was something something that he sort of created. So they worked very hard on on getting that as well. But and at that time, it was harder to do. Today, everything's just you press a button on a computer and, and it's, it's done. done. But it's that was, much quicker, yeah. probably cheaper, actually. Yeah, no, very cheap. Yeah, yeah. So and there's no reason for an album to cost that kind of money. There just is not. I, 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 yeah, look, look, I, I have a studio. This, I can tell you, there's no. I mean, even guys who are, you know, big time producers will tell you that's just, just really no. That's just silly. Outrageous. Out. And Outrageous. <laughs> and I do love um, Hysteria. That's probably my favorite one. But I am also a girl, so there's that. No, it's okay. That's a good record. I get it. It was a big pop success for them, and you know, but you know, at least for their, they got they got some bang for the buck. Yes, they actually they, that it made sense in the end, yeah, so yeah. everything was fine. You know, it's like one of those movies that's you know umpteen million dollars make, but then they go, holy crap, like Titanic or whatever, right? Ends up becoming really Huge. big. That's like okay, well, the end justifies the means there, but. Uh, when not 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 on some of these. So what do you got next? Next on my list is Corn Untouchables in 2002. Total cost was four million dollars. Um, they wanted to make an amazing sounding rock album that could never be made again. Uh, they spent two years making the album, five months solely on the vocals and a month working on the drum sound before any of it was even recorded. Um, there were days when Jonathan Davis would come into the studio and he would sing a note. They said he didn't sound right and sent him home for the day. And that was it. You're done today. This is wrong. So come back another day. Um, this was the first album recorded in high, uh, high def 96K, which uh, included high-end equipment and brand new technology. So there's where that money went. Um, the band uh, and a 15-person crew that was living on hefty retainers was another part of the money. They moved to Phoenix and rented houses at $10,000 each for four months. Moved to L.A. and rented houses for that much. Went to Canada okay, and so rented no, houses. No, 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 no. <laughs> so in other words, a lot of this didn't go into the music. Right. Ah. <laughs> a lot of it went into renting yeah, being a rock star. houses. Yes. Yeah, like, so the, like, the, like you can't the live Guns in your car. Thing. But I got to <laughs> hand it, man. If it, nobody can throw money away like Guns N' Roses. So far on this list, <laughs> Guns N' Roses wins. They did a great job. <laughs> We're just throwing money job. in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Sign us to your label, man. We're gonna, Let's we're build gonna, chicken coops. We are just going to waste all of your money. I mean... I, I don't know. know one song off this record. I'm sorry. It it was uh, mildly successful. I know. I I see. Here to stay. Thoughtless. Alone. I break. We're singles. Um, but uh, I'm also not th- that big of a corn fan. So there's that. <laughs> 
It sold 434000 but did not surpass the sales from uh, the M&M show by M&M. So M&M did better. And there's and, that. And M&M's record probably caused a fraction of... Legit. Of, of that, you know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's one thing to... If there is, like, with the Hysteria record, there is an act... There is a... Uh, uh, actual recording costs involved with like with the music, what they were doing with the music, but <laughs> with the Guns and Roses and the corn thing, you gotta go like, mm. why guys? Why'd you waste all that money? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I mean it's just, uh, I, I, you you do it because you can because you're a pampered rock star and people can, you know, people, I feel people just throw money at you. That if I were a pampered rock star, I would definitely throw money away too on like the dumbest stuff. Probably like the first. Five years of my career, and then I'd be like, you know what? I'm, I need my money back now. <laughs> so I wouldn't be as crazy as these people. After pra- I'd give it five years, and then I'd calm down, just because I'd be like, oh, money all over the place. Let's buy all the new things. Let's buy Beetlejuice jackets that we don't need. <laughs> uh, they yeah, they wanted to make an amazing record, but <clears throat> I don't know. It's I mean, if you're a Corn fan, chime in and let me know what like what you think of this album. Uh, I know Keith and I. Keith, I know Keith likes their real early stuff, and he wasn't real crazy about their later stuff. So I would. I literally only like their first album. That he's the same way. He likes their first record. That's all he likes. So, oh, uh, interesting. What's next? What's next is Foo Fighters One by One in two thousand and two. I for some reason don't have money listed on here. Give me a second. I had to put it somewhere. Production on this album was troubled with initial recording sessions considered unsatisfying and raising tensions between the band members. Um, they decided to redo the entire album from scratch during a two-week period at Dave Grohl's home studio in Virginia. Uh, there was months and months of recording in the studio separately while the others just sort of sat around and played foosball. Uh, they didn't spend a million dollars on recording the album. They spent Oh, it's a million dollars. They uh, spent the million dollars on 29 songs and tossing them to the side and then starting the album over quickly and cheaply. Um... The difference between the original album release happens to be that one million dollar price tag original was crap, and the one done in the basement was thirty mi- that was thirty minutes became the biggest song the band had. So, there's that. Um, it was a commercial success, topping the charts in Australia, Ireland, and the United Kingdom, and sold over one million copies in the U.S. One by One was uh, very positively received by the critics. Fans loved it, um, praised the sound and production, and they won a Grammy for Best Rock Album in two thousand and four. Which was the second one for the band. So uh, it was a million dollars. Yeah. Sometimes it's just about forgetting all about that rock star garbage and just let's go to my garage. And do it right. And just play like <laughs> a band and work on the songs. Just be a band and just play. But it's got, you know, like class. I like I think like times like these is a classic like rock tune. It's like, you know, I mean, it's like a modern, more modern classic rock tune. Legit. So you can kind of look when you when I see something like that, and, I, and the, again on the Hysteria record, and you hear the wow, you know these these songs are like the songs that like you know the soundtrack of an era and stuff like that. Then you go, then you can kind of go. There's some justification with it, but still, even a million dollars is a lot of money. Oh, <laughs> so let me read a couple things on here. Billy Altman is also on, but I can't see. So there's that. Um, Mike Viscara says, "What's up?" Mike! Uh, Guns N' Roses is a chick band anyway. I have to disagree with that just a little bit. Chick band. Just a little bit. Um, he said, blew out the hearing in my right ear at a Def Leppard Tesla concert in Las Vegas. Bill Damiano likes the album Hysteria, and he went to see Def Leppard and Poison at Star Lake. Other than Joe Elliott calling us Philly, I enjoyed it. Philly, Pittsburgh. 
whatever. <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> they begin- think, people think it is. <laughs> it begins with the P. It's in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Where they're not care. Why the accent? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> he's, he's like switching it up. Spanish, Irish. Philadelphia. We don't care. Don't worry. It doesn't matter. And Chris Thunderwolf is now on too. You can kiss my ass. <laughs> um, so that's a kind of Hispanic Irish. Uh-huh. Yeah, you got some arse. mix there. Yeah, okay. I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> I'm my- There's a weird DJ on uh, Sirius. He's du- he's Dutch or something, and it's, he's, it doesn't sound like an accent. Accent. It sounds like a cleft palate problem or something. <laughs> like it doesn't. I'm sorry. If it, I don't remember the gentleman's name. It's probably a good thing I don't. Because <laughs> right. I'm getting sued, but I just—I'm sorry. You like get a I letter just, in the mail. I can't. There's this guy in Philadelphia making fun of you. <laughs> yeah, there you are. <laughs> it's just you know. So uh, I, I'm the. Believe me, I'm no great announcer. I know. I um and on. <laughs> kiss my ass. That's because you're a real human. I make more you're money a real than boy. All, I make more money than all you mother effers, anyways. Ah. So, well. That was the end of the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> one by one by the Foo Fighters. But here's the irony, though. The original Foo Fighters is one guy. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they should have just done that. <laughs> Made the album for about $300. You know, just buy Dave Grohl some beer and some pizza and let him make a record. He probably would have been a guy with yeah, that. I'm sure he would. <laughs> There's a funny story I heard Eddie Trunk tell. He was doing some... Um, uh, charity event that he does in in LA or something all the time every year and he said that um, it was like an outdoor like at a park <clears throat> and they had like sort of like B level rockers mm-hmm. you know um, bands like Every Mother's Nightmare and um, the Bullet Boys and the, <laughs> like, yes. not the super you know what I mean there was no Motley Crue or right. Van Halen or anything like that that's okay. And it was a I kind of gone. like, it, the attendance was kind of lukewarm. The response was kind of lukewarm. And he was standing back there by the mixer, and he says he sees this guy carrying a couple of grocery bags, long hair. and I think I know this on. story, but yeah, go ahead. And he realizes it's Dave Grohl. And he's like, Dave, like, how you doing, man? And stuff like that. And he's like, Eddie, like, what is this? And he's, he's told him what it was. He says, man, he says, he's, I got some milk and stuff for my kids. I got to take kids home. I'll come back. He says, can, can you, do you mind if I sit in and play a little bit? And he didn't ask for any money or anything. He had no ego. He just got up and played with whoever was playing and sat around, hung out all afternoon and played with a bunch of the bands. Like, that's because he's the nice guy of That's rock. the kind of guy <laughs> Dave Grohl is, so. So, anyway, I don't know why I shared that story. I just think it's a cool story about It's a great story. I love that story. Um, who him. do we have next on the least? Metallica, The Black Album, 1991. Total cost was $1 million and three marriages. <laughs> uh, so the story goes, the time um, recording the album was not fun. Uh, there were several fallings out, both with the band, then the producer Bob Rock, who felt that Hetfield could write better lyrics and found his experience with recording with them disappointing. Um, he was expecting the production to be easy, but had trouble working with the band, um, leading to frequent uh, arguments with the band members over aspects of the album. The whole band felt it was stressful, um, so stressful that 75% of the band got divorces. Hetfield was the only one who did not. Um, They did endless takes of everything because he wanted perfection, and uh, they had to keep going until it was, like, flawless. Everybody had to think it was flawless. So, as you know, if you have more than one person working on something, it's never going to be flawless. 
So there's that. Um, the money went to eight months of recording, mixing, re-recording, remixing, and re-reing everything. <laughs> um, in the end, it did pay off with 31 million copies sold worldwide. Hetfield described his number one experience as not quite the party he expected. He was in a hotel room and received a fax stating that they were number one. Just another fax from the office. So it wasn't even like, woohoo, party. He was like, wow, I'm number one. I, I Again... I, I think that okay, we can put this in the same category as Hysteria um, by uh, Def Leppard in a sense that this is a classic album. You know, like it or not, I know you're not a big Metallica fan, and a lot of Metallica fans they don't, don't like, like to know, one. oh, it's not metal enough, whatever. <laughs> it's a classic album. I mean, it's it just, just, you know, it was a total monster, just it was unstoppable. It was everywhere. I remember when it came out. There was what? Okay, so Enter Sandman, The Unforgiven, um, Sad but True. Uh, what's what's the what's the uh, uh, other other ballad? Uh, Life is ours. We live it our way. Uh, nothing else matters. Oh yeah, that one. Um, wherever I may roam. I mean, like just I just off the top of my head, name five huge singles off that album. And I'm, I'm sure there's others that I'm not that I'm not remembering. I don't have the thing in front of me at, at the moment. <clears throat> the album's album's a total powerhouse. It sounds insane. It sounds freaking great. I, I don't know, man. Like <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You can say whatever, man. I mean, I know the, the metalheads out there, you know, just d- dislike it. But uh, I don't know, man. I think the proofs in the pudding. And again, they, these songs are 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 now in the pantheon of classic rock. Yep. It's just a thing. It's just, I mean, these songs are as big as Paranoid, Iron Man, War Pigs. I mean, they're as as big as those songs. All recognizable. Even if you don't like them, you know the songs. You know it's them. So they didn't do, the only thing they did wrong was the price tag, but they didn't do wrong. Yeah, I mean, it was was expensive. It was hard to make. It was probably, they probably weren't used to recording that way. Um, And, you know, Bob Rock, I don't know, man, like. His touch on a lot of—I like his sound on a lot of records. I think he does. A, I think he does a uh, a, 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 a great job. This is my opinion. The album sounds freaking amazing. But if you're, you know, no, it is not Injustice for All. It's not Ride the Lightning. You know, it's not those records. But, and that's okay. But and it's, it's just, but it, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. But it, they, they, I, again, when you read back what the money was spent on, just really getting the record right. That makes a little bit more sense than like you know we all rented houses in one. We city. We built chicken and, uh, coops. Yeah, we built chicken coops. And why well, heard that that um, Buckethead actually liked the smell of dog poop? And yes, have dog poop around. Yes, he would let Axel's dogs just take a poo everywhere and just let it stay. Okay, here's here's my thing. Here's my thing with Kevin and I were talking about this. If you guys are listening, you know who Buckethead is. Let me know because all kind of rumors about. Who Buckethead actually is? Oh, I don't. Know. And there was a rumor for a while that it was actually he was actually Steve Vai. Oh, so like if you you know who Buckethead actually is, I would love to know or just know your theory on who Buckethead is. It's Stevie T. You think it's Stevie T from YouTube? And that would that would that would not surprise me. <laughs> He's too nah. Stevie T's too young. Like he would. Buckethead's been around long. Buckethead's been around since the eighties. Um, anyway, so what do we got next? Next is the Beach Boys slash Brian Wilson smile. Smile. <laughs> um, before I say the cost, let me read into this a little more. Um, 
the recording process uh, began with a mission statement by Brian Wilson made to dinner guests um, in October in 1966. I'm writing a teenage symphony to God. That was a direct quote. Um, it was the fifth studio album by yeah, American there's no, Band. no, like, big expectations there. You right. know, not at all. <laughs> Um, it did release the September 28, 2004. It features all new recordings of music that he had originally created for Smile, an unfinished album by the Beach Boys that he abandoned in 1967. Um, it was an intense emotional undertaking for Wilson, who had been psychologically scarred by the difficulties surrounding the original Smile album that he didn't complete. Um, some songs from the album aborted sessions, um, the album's aborted sessions would appear on official Beach Boys albums, but it wasn't until 2004 that Wilson approved Brian Wilson Pre Presents Smile was released. The long delay can be blamed on Wilson's drug intake and depression in the 60s and 70s, which began um, with the public's um, tepid reaction to the single release of Heroes and Villains, a song Wilson believed would be as welcomed as the Beatles' Strawberry Fields Forever, which obviously was not. Um, <laughs> th there's something else about Smile that you have to realize in terms of putting things in place in history. This was to be the follow-up to Pet Sounds. Yeah. Pet Sounds is considered, it, it's like the Beach Boys' Sgt. Pepper. It's Beatles. A, a, a Beatles. No, it's like the Beach Boys doing it. Oh, like, I see what like you're their, saying. They're Sgt. Pepper's. Okay. Um, just, <laughs> just like one of these. In fact, it was so, uh, so respected and so loved that even Paul McCartney and John Lennon were very intimidated by Pet Sounds. They were like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> Which we talked about last week. What are we going to do now? <laughs> so th this is an, you know, so he has to follow that up. So what do you do? Um, you know, right. What the hell do you do after that? And then <laughs> Sergeant Peppers, in the meantime, does come out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's feeling pressure from that. Um, you know, I know that you said you read off uh, uh, Brian's, uh, some of his issues there. with I know you on drugs stuff. But. There is a documentary uh, produced by Don Was called "I Just Wasn't Made for These Times." It's about Brian Wilson. If you, if you, you should see it. It's just very interesting okay. documentary. But Brian, he's not right in the head. Oh yes, I know. I, I actually mean, it's saw more than like just a behind the music for it's, yeah. it's not depression. Like there's more going. There's on. a lot of things. He's like happening it's there. either like some kind of bipolar or he's. He's suffering. Yeah, he's got some. <laughs> he has some issues, man. Like I, uh, just uh, of course, a genius. And you kind of, right? Don't we have this in our, in in art? You always have the these geniuses that are kind of like hey, little out there. Yeah. Little <laughs> but he's really, um, he, he he was really out there. But I would encourage you to watch the documentary because you really get to see what a genius. The, the guy really was and the fact that the dude really was dealing with very very serious problems why he, he couldn't tour and stuff with them it just it just wasn't gonna um, it was very Jekyll and Hyde yeah but it, um, it wasn't gonna work uh, there isn't an official reported figure revealing exactly exactly how much money was spent on the entire album but Wilson's demands included an Arabian style tent built in his house for the consumption of sandwiches weed and LSD which ran about thirty thousand dollars important uh, that's $220,000 now. Uh, the placement of his piano in a sandbox filled with eight tons of premium beach sand. Premium beach sand. Yes, I don't know what that means. Um, Primo. <laughs> like yeah. Louis Primo. Right. 
the economics behind Good Vibrations, the song produced first and placed last on the track listing, was made public, approaching $75,000, including use of the electro theremin itself, responsible for $15,000. So it's around today's money, $800,000. Um, for the cost of that. And many much, years. Still, yeah, still not as much as Guns N' Roses. No. Um, uh, undiagnosed schizoaffective disorder is what Wikipedia is calling it. Yeah. I have that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had that, and the doctor gave me an antibiotic and a little cream, and it cleared oh, right up, you know. Sweet. You know. I have to find that. <laughs> LSD cream. Um <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Have either one of you guys ever seen the movie Walk Hard? Yes, I don't like it. I, I yes. love that movie, but it's this is parodied in that movie <laughs> about the in the in the in in the um, third act. This is parodied, um, and it's pretty. I, I think they pretty much <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> If you aren't a music fan or a music aficionado or a music head like Lily and, and, and Kevin and Keith and I are, um, you may not have picked up what that was all about in that movie. It was they, they were definitely doing a sort of a, uh, a take on the smile period of uh, of uh, Brian, Brian Wilson there with uh, Dewey Cox. <laughs> I hate that movie. <laughs> I love it. I must have somebody. Um, Sharon introduced me to that movie about a year ago, and I think I've watched it five times. I, I just can't I stop can't get into I it. Freaking love it. It's hit or miss with that that actor with me though. John C. Riley. Yeah. Okay, this is not a podcast about John C. Riley. No. And just in case Thank you goodness. were getting confused there, uh, real quick though, it is uh, sponsored by WolfsCustoms.online. Go get custom uh, job done on your. Uh, musical instrument of your choice. I also want to mention real quick Rock and Pod 20 Rock and Pod Expo 2021 starts in 3 months, 30 days, 7 hours, 15 minutes and 40 seconds from now, August 6th through the 8th in Nash- Nashville. Nashville. Yeah, folks like Billy Sheehan, Don Jameson, Ron Keel will be hanging around. You get get to meet these folks and do a little bit of uh um photo taking and things like that. This is an expo for rock podcasters. So Bill Damiano, you should get your butt down there, buddy. And uh, it would be a good place for you to go. The Ludini Rock and Roll Circus will be representing there as well. So we'll be hanging around and and doing meet and greets. And you'll get to meet uh, myself. And Lily, you have to get your ass down there. You got to (laughs) come. You keep saying that. You should come. You'll have a good time. It's totally up your alley. (laughs) It's, it's, it's totally I can fun. see that it's it is. A lot of, and it's, a, and it's, also, it's a lot of fun. Um, what they're doing this time is there's, they're going to have um, they're going to have it spread out into some of the clubs in Nashville. And so there's going to be bands playing. A lot of these guys get together and form like like mini super groups and get up and perform each other's songs and things like that. It's um, it's just super fun. Uh, the band Roxy Blue is going to be there again. I got to, th- those guys were so cool. Um, they had to have. Ludini Rock and Roll Circus mugs when I met them last time. They're like, you nice. need those mugs, we love them. So they all have they're all walking around with Ludini Rock and Roll Circus mugs, which is which was very flattering and really enjoyed it. So um, that is and you want to get more info at Nashville Rock N with the letter N pod expo.com. Nashville Rock and Pod Expo.com. Get uh, go there and check out some information. I actually we have a recorded um, audio commercial 
then I'm going to play. Cosby, get out of there! Uh, then I'm going to play <laughs> for you guys. Sorry, my cat was being a knock. <laughs> Bill Cosby, get your head out of the pudding. Sorry. Oh, get your head out of the pudding. Wow. Wow. <laughs> See, this is why I stopped drinking on the podcast. But Lily and Kevin made, made me drink. We made you. We they forced did. you to drink. They did. Those, How dead. old are you? You're an adult. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> A four year old. I did four year old. My, my name is Louie. A four year old. So, um, okay, what's next? We're going to go with Fleetwood Max Tusk. Yeah, this is, I was wanted to get to this. 1979. Right, Kevin? <laughs> Total cost was $1.4 million. In 19 what? 1979. Equivalent to $3.52 million today. <laughs> Uh, Fleetwood Mac's 1979 LP Tusk took over the most expensive rock album ever made designation by the media. At the time, previously, it was Queen's A Night at the Opera. We're talking about it in a minute. Probably. Lindsay, uh, probably. Lindsay Buckingham was um, adamant about creating an album that sounded nothing like rumors, and he did by the influence, uh, you can tell by the influence of post-punk in the sound, so it is a little different. Uh, 23 million copies of the group's previous album, Rumors, would eventually be sold, yet Warner Brothers denied band manager Mick Fleetwood his request for the group to buy his own studio with a company advance. So instead, $1.4 million went to a cons- went to custom-fitting Studio D at the Village Recorder in L.A., um, in the book 33 and a Third, um, it is said that on the very first night of recording, the whole group celebrated Mick's new purchase of a $70,000 sports car with cocaine. Before well, the 70s. <laughs> before he um, received a phone call saying that the uninsured car was broadsided and demolished while being towed to his home. When the session ended at 6 a.m., that night, early morning, officially ended, the night there, and the early morning officially ended without any actual um, audio put on tape. The twenty-song double album Tusk would sell for four million records. Or Twenty-song sell, sell four million records, thereby making it a profitable failure to the label. The number of copies rumors sold compared to Tusk's is the all-time biggest decrease by any recording artist from one major label album to the next. Um, excuses for its disappointing sales include RKO Radio Networks playing the entire album to its cassette tape recording-capable audiences prior to its release. And its high retail price of $15.98, which would be f- over $50 in okay, 2014 dollars. So you, you said that very fast. <laughs> Sorry. What was the thing about the cassette? What did you say again? They played the entire album to its cassette tape recording. The audiences. Yes. Oh, they just played the Thank entire you. album. Yeah. So, so, they, uh, so people just hit the Because the uh, cassette was $15.98. Uh, Beca- and you, instead of buying it, you could just record it. Okay, I, did, I missed what you Sorry, said. Sorry, okay, I yeah. said it fast. I know you and I both talk fast. We're gonna, I know. We got to we gotta work on a little bit. But, um, <laughs> I know, we both do it. Which would be $50 in 2014. This, we're day. just so excited. I know, I can't help myself. We're so excited. <laughs> um, other than the song Tusk, I don't know any other songs on it. Is there another song on it that was big? There, Was Sarah on that? I don't know. Let me, let me pull I, up the It's not the, an album I listen list. to. I just oh, know that. If, if there was... Tusk album. Let's take a look. Let's look at the track listing and see what we have. Uh, he insisted on it being like yeah, a double. Yeah, Sarah is on LP it. Too. Sarah is on it. That, 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 that's a great song. It's a great song. So there's really... That's, that's probably the best song on the album. The song Tusk is a cool song with all the, with the, you know, all the sound effects and everything but like that. But two out of 20 songs? Yeah. No. For $1.4 million? No. 
No. No. No, this was a this is where this is where ego gets completely out of freaking control because they were the biggest band in the world. And don't get me wrong, right, Kevin? We loved rumors. Uh, everybody loved rumors. I know, I know, I know. Our generation, that was like one of like the most important albums of all time. I don't know. Did we ever do a, a thing on rumors? We might, we, we might want to do that I at some point. I have to check because I feel like we did, but we it might not. Like have. We, we might have talked about it. We should, we should if we haven't. It is, a, it's, I mean, come on. It's... <laughs> And, uh, I mean, it was really the record where they kind of like, and for a band like Fleetwood Mac that like went through so many iterations, starting with, um, what's his name? I don't know Help what me he's out. doing. Peter Green. Peter Green. Peter. Peter. Peter Green. Peter. And just, you know. Peter Pan. Everything that, that they went through just to kind of finally come to this thing with um, bringing in Buckingham Knicks and marrying these two things together. And then all the personal stuff that they went through that fueled, right? Like all the songwriting and everything. Just, you know, it was just like what it was like a moment in time. Just it was like the Beatles. It was like, you know, it was like uh, uh, Dark Side of the Moon. It was like the Black Album by Metallica. It was just it was like a moment in time that this record came together and was just magic and just awesome. And that is so it's like we talked about Brian Wilson dealing with trying to follow up Pet Sounds. It's. What the pressure has to be immense. It just has to be immense. Like, what do you? You the only way to deal with that, I think, is to a quit. <laughs> just be like, well, we did our thing. Or keep like doing that police, cocaine. Like the police cocaine, cocaine, cocaine. Yeah, I think I want from that cocaine. Um, <laughs> but um, I, to to just quit, like the police did after synchronicity, right. or to just totally say, look, man, there's no way we can top that. We're just going to make the best record we can make and just not even worry about it. But this was obviously an attempt to say, well, rumors were so big, we have to do something like, just, so we're going to write 20 songs. Uh. But they did experimenting, which I think you shouldn't do if you're trying to follow up a great album like that. I don't think you should go and experiment with things not you don't know. Not to the know. tune of $3 million. Right. Yeah. Just go make a good record. Yeah. That's the problem. Stick with what you know. If you well, want to, I mean, if you, you know, want to make and, a big and album, can, and, and if you stick with it, you know, and I know we're, nobody here is a big Bruce Springsteen fan, but look at Bruce. He puts out, he works, works, where he puts out "Born to Run." It becomes a really big record. He's a giant rock star, and then like the, the other records after that, like you know, "The River" and those, they're good records, and he has some songs, but he's not like overly concerned about. Oh my God, I've got to do. He just makes the records <laughs> he wants them. He does an acoustic album, you know, all kind of stuff, and then just through the natural course of things, comes out with "Born in the USA." And it doesn't feel like he was trying to do something. He was just, this is just the music I'm making right now. And it resonated. So sometimes just chill. <laughs> just make the music you make and relax. Well, look at ACDC. They made this. They've been making the same album for fifty freaking years. But they make it work. They do. They sound. I'm not saying they that, but I'm just saying that. Well, you know, just just do what you do. <laughs> chill out. What do you got? I need to talk about this one. It's not rock, but I do need to talk about it. It's Michael Jackson's Invincible from 2001. The total cost was estimated at $30 million. What? Yes, and I will explain. So this is the top of the heap. That yes, has to be. it is. The double what the, the, the Chinese uh, yeah. Guns N' Roses people did. The album features appearances from Carlos Santana, Notorious B.A.G. It incorporates R&B, pop, and soul. Um, 
similar to his previous material, the, um, it ha talks about love and romance and isolation and social issues and that whole thing. Prior to the release of Invincible, Michael Jackson had not released any new material since Blood on the Dance Floor from 1997. Um, it was looked at as Jackson's career comeback, this Invincible album. When it was released in uh, 2001, it was already being touted as the most expensive album ever made. The large bill had something to do with the five years spent recording anywhere from 50 to 87 songs, incorporating several producers and co-writers, and according to one report, booking three studios simultaneously because Jackson didn't know which one he'd feel like recording at when he woke up that day. Wow. Sony also earmarked $25 million extra for promoting their large investment. At first, two singles and a music fe video featuring Marlon Brando were released, but then advertising was non-existent, and they canceled the tour because Jackson refused to work because he said um, Tommy Mottola was a racist. So he canceled the tour. Okay, back up. Who's Tommy Mottola? Tony Mottola? Tony Mottola. Tommy Mottola. He's Tom, Tommy Mottola was the producer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, he. There's so much information. That's okay. But it did cost $30 million. Um, it did uh, sold 6 million copies worldwide, went double platinum in the U.S., but was not considered profitable at all. Um, it debuted at number one on the Billboard and in 10 other countries worldwide. The album was certified double platinum in January 2002. It did still cost them money. No tour added to it, so they didn't have to spend that extra $25 million. So that would have been the right, top of but it. I, you would think though, it, 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 when was this? Two thousand and one again? Two thousand one. Okay, so then we we still had the kind of at that time there was no um, MP3 and all. Well, no, MP3 was around. There was, but it wasn't like it's not as easily no accessible, right. And stuff like that. Okay, so people still bought stuff, and you could still support a record by touring at that time. And probably that, I would say more than anything else, that probably hurt that thing. Because oh, Because, like, legit. if they don't, I mean, that was the how, right, Kevin? We grew up with that. The band would write, put out the album. They would tour to support the album. And people would get there with a buzz what happened about the shows. And people would run to buy the record, blah, 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 blah. Um, and everybody did it. That was the model. And you spend that kind of money making a record. You don't tour. I mean, um, you pretty much I, I don't know. Outside. Michael was losing it. You know, later in his life, he was. I think the thing about the dude being a racist is 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 uh, sounds kind of fishy to me. I think he just wanted to stay home. And what's that drug they were? Uh, doctor. I don't remember, but yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, they were filling him full of some. I think he just wanted to stay wasted and didn't want to like. Was too tired. <laughs> too tired. Too tired. Too tired. Too tired. Uh, well, at least it didn't end up costing them that extra twenty-five million, I suppose. But I think he would have made that thirty million back had he did tour. Yeah, I think that you're making a good. I think you're making. A, I'm sorry. That's it. You said in a very one sentence that I took like a half an hour to say. That's, That's exactly okay. It. That's exactly. If they had toured, they probably would have. They probably would have uh, uh, greatly. Uh, they would have greatly affected those numbers. So what do you got after this? I know you got something else, right? The next one is Sergeant Pepper's, 1967. But it was only $400,000 in today's money. So it was on the lower end of that. Um, but it was 60 times more expensive than their first album. Uh, sessions began on November 24th, 1966 uh, at Abbey Road Studios. It's the first time the Beatles had come together since September because they took their like little leave off of touring and everything to go pursue whatever they wanted to do. Like Some of them went to India. Some of them just chilled, you know, did their thing. We're the Beatles. Right. <laughs> We're going to the Maharashtra to meditate. But they did afford the luxury of... I'm an... Paul McCartney. That's Sick. You sound like a cartoon of him. I'm the sensitive beetle. <laughs> no, I'm the I'm the I'm the cute beetle. I'm the cute beetle. 
<laughs> they had nearly limitless recording budget, and with no absolute deadline for completion, the band booked open-ended sessions uh, that started at 7 p.m. and allowed them to work as late as they wanted. Um, the song Strawberry Fields Forever took alone took 55 hours worth of tape during the recording of this groundbreaking album and went through several versions before the final cut, and there were two versions that John Lennon couldn't decide between when the album was wrapping up. Um, in total, Jeff Emmerich estimated they spent 700 hours working on this album. Okay, again, most of what went into it was the music. Yes. And this was uh, legit. And, and you got to realize, guys, like today, I can create, like right now, we're listening to my album in the background here. I could get into the computer right now, and we could create multiple versions of three of us in a couple hours, multiple versions of all these songs, like boom, boom, in boom. In no boom. time. But this, in, in, in 1966, when they started recording this, this crazy thing, you had to get all the musicians back together and say, well, let's try doing it this way. You know, <laughs> no, you play it like that. You do it. No, that's wrong. Um, let's do that again. This time, you know, and it was a real, like, it was freaking hard work. Very time consuming and therefore very, very, very expensive. Um, so this is where, this is the difference between this and like some of the other nonsense we talked about on the, on the podcast today. And you can't really argue with this album, right? Right, I mean, no. This is the album. It was it's the first concept album. It's the first this, it's the first that. It defined it, the summer of love. It, it defined the summer of love. It's the album that everybody was trying to, the, the record labels were looking for bands to do. What's going to be the next Sgt. Peppers? What's going to be the next Sgt. Peppers? I mean, that went, you know, people heard that all through the 70s, waiting for the next Sgt. Peppers. Um, so it's a really important record, and it's not a surprise to my to, to me at all that it was expensive to make. Right. It, so- it sounds great. It's amazing. It's a great record. So what, you got anything else? Last one is Queen, A Night at the Opera, 1975. 40,000 pounds or $500,000 in today's money. Th- don't be talking, but you not know pounds. Uh, well, that's Make what they spent. talk about quid. I might talk about quid. I might talk about rupees. <laughs> um, after fighting to be released from a management deal. How many deal, Turkish lira is that? I have no idea. Why are you? Seriously, guys? Come How on. many yen? Franks? Uh-huh, zing, euros. <laughs> now you're now totally trying to be frank. <laughs> it's like an airplane joke. <laughs> Are you boys done? <laughs> Who didn't know that? <laughs> After fighting to be released from a management deal gone sour, Queen decided to go for broke on a night at the opera, which in 1975 was, five, was considered to be the most expensive rock album ever made until Tusk came out. Um, they, uh, the group worked to create their own Sgt. Pepper's album, particularly particular meticulousness was showcased with Bohemian Rhapsody conce- containing 180 voice chorus. Scaramouche, Scaramouche. <laughs> Just Freddie Mercury, Brian May, and Roger Taylor's vocals stacked on top of one another, uh, created over a week's worth of 12 hour days. Uh, Roy Thomas Baker, who we talked about on the show before was in on this song. He referred to the song as totally insane. Uh, we never we never stopped laughing. It was basically a joke, but a successful joke. It would not be the last time Baker was accused of humor, although, I don't know, he seems like a sour old man. <laughs> um, the album was recorded at seven different studios over a period of four months. Queen spent a month during the summer of 1975 rehearsing in a barn at what would become Ridge Farm Studio in Surrey, which there's a great scene for this in the album yes. Bohemian Rhapsody, yes, which is very fun to watch. If you haven't seen that movie, I, go, uh, I, I recommend go seeing that. Um, but it does go on to name all the other studios, which is where the money went. They had to 
recorded in all these different studios. Uh, upon release, A Night at the Opera topped the UK album chart for four non-consecutive weeks. It peaked at number four on the US Billboard 200 and became the band's first platinum certified album in the Uni United States. Um, the worldwide sales for the album were over six million copies. It also produced the band's most successful single in the UK with Bohemian Rhapsody, which became the first UK number one. Despite being twice as long as the average length of singles during the 1970s, the song became immensely popular worldwide, as well as being reincarnated with the movie Wayne's World. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, they, it, went, it got back on the charts. <laughs> yep. When Wayne's World came out. I, um, one of my greatest, one of the funnest movie-going experiences I ever had was seeing Wayne's World in a theater with a bunch of drunk college kids. Oh, I saw it with my parents. And it was like everybody was <laughs> clapping along and singing along and laughing out loud, and it was a good time. It also features the song uh, You're, uh, You're My Best Friend. Which I love. Which is the uh, first Queen single to be written by John Deacon. Yes, I do. He wrote that. about his wife. Uh, he's learned to play the piano. He played on the world's electric piano. Freddie Mercury hated the world's Sir electric piano. I thought it sounded terrible. Terrible! It's a horrible instrument, he said. It's horrible! Did he say it like that? He said it's horrible! I kind of feel like he was more soft-spoken than that. Um, but in any case... <laughs> he told his cats that. <laughs> so, yeah, no. Um, yeah, Night at the Opera. Bohemian Rhapsody. And there the, it is. the scene in the movie... Where, with the Mike Myers, got in like the whole that, that's and fun. Can know. I tell you, I didn't even know that was him until I saw the well, credits. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> What's interesting though is because um, Mike Myers is in Wayne's World. Yes, and there's that whole like funny. there's that whole crossover thing. And you know, got, people gave them shit about that, and I was like, no, 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 it was perfect. That's great. It was totally for the fans. Yeah, like, it was one of those moments. It was like you know, if you love that song. And you totally get, and you saw my way, like, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Would have just made it better if, like, they could have got Dana Garvey, too. <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in the movie. So just have him walk by. <laughs> have him, like, outside cleaning the window or something. Eating the licorice. Yeah, that was great. And I didn't even know that was Mike Myers until the very end of the movie when I saw the credits. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Dude, if you're going to hurl, I say hurl. But if hurl she comes back, <laughs> she's yours, dude. Wow. So this was a fun podcast. They're all fun, right, Lily? Every one of them are fun. They're all fun. They're all fun and chipper. Let's give a couple of um, shout-outs to some birthdays. It is. This is not on this day in music, but it is Warren Haynes' birthday. Yes, it is. Uh, Merle Haggard. Merle Haggard. I love his name. Uh, it's a great name, but happy birthday to Merle Haggard. Uh, there's some other famous people here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, Frank Black, born Charles Michael Kittredge Thompson, uh, American uh, alternative rock band The Pixies. Mm. You know Frank Black is. Said the reason he started playing and writing, playing uh, guitar and writing songs is because of Larry Norman. Larry Norman. That's right. Um, on this day in 1974, California Jam 1 Festival took place in Ontario, in Ontario, featuring the Eagles, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Earth, Wind, and Fire, ELP, Black Elk, uh, and Seals and Crofts, Summer, Summer Breeze. Um, and this day in 1979, Rod Stewart married George Hamilton's ex-wife, Alana Hamilton in Beverly Hills, California. The couple had a daughter, Kimberly, and a son, Sean. 
They divorced in 84, of course. Gilbert O'Sullivan, this day in 1985, won a lawsuit against his manager, Gordon Mills, for unpaid royalties. Um, you, you, what song did Gilbert O'Sullivan do? Alone again, naturally. Those are old. Yep. <laughs> he said, yep. He this, said, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. We're going to talk about Wendy in a yeah. minute. Uh, on this day in nineteen in 1987, Roger Roger Waters, you ladies over in Cranberry, uh, uh, issued a statement that Roger believed himself to be the creative driving force behind Pink Floyd. Therefore, he would contest the use of the name by anyone else and any former band members of Pink Floyd. He lost, and that was a and what ended up happening was there was Roger Waters Pink Floyd, and then which had like just Roger Waters in it. That was it. And then there was David Gilmore's Pink Floyd, which had uh, Nick Mason and everybody. I've seen them both perform. And, um, and you know, it was a kind of bad situation because there was actually times when both bands were playing the same night. And uh, Gilmore's Floyd was at, like, the Guga Dome for, like, four nights in a row. And Roger Waters was playing, like, a fire hall. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know? And it was, it was kind of depressing. He lost. Um, finally, on this day in 1998... Wendy O. Williams, former singer of the Plasmatics, died from self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Gunshot wounds? Like she shot herself multiple times? Apparently. Wow. Williams was known for her wild stage theatrics, which included blowing up equipment near nudity. I'm pretty sure she did nudity a couple times. sawing guitars, Lily. That's why I love her. In January 81, police in Milwaukee arrested her for simulating sex on stage. Mm-hmm. Like today. What, 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 what's that? Uh, what's her name? Cardi B? Like, come on. Right. Like, you know. Like Cardi, you didn't come up with it. Yeah, like, calm on. down. <laughs> Later that same year, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Williams was acquitted of an obscenity charge for simulating sex on stage, wearing only shaving we cream. We did talk about that on the show for shocking stage shows once. Yes. Yeah. Come on. Just in shaving cream. I That's, do love my by girl the way, Wendy. Next week on the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus, we're all going to just be wearing shaving cream. Oh boy, can it be lined? No, it's going to be whipped cream. Oh, there's that. But I'm a diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin said he's a diabetic. He can't. He'll have to kind of just forget it. All right, guys, you've been listening to Ludini Rock and Roll Circus, WolfsCustoms.online. Check them out, please, uh, if you can. This summer, go check out the Nashville Rock and Pod Nashville Rock and Pod Expo dot com. Uh, you can get more information about us and everything we do at LouLombardiMusic.com. Uh, don't forget, if you want to win a free Ludini Rock and Roll T shirt, Ludini Rock and Roll Circus T shirt, go to iTunes, give us a good review, uh, take a picture of it, send it to Lou at LouLombardiMusic.com. and Rock Rage Radio. We love you guys. And Lily, speaking of Rock Rage Radio, you guys know that Lily's like. We got like a famous person here. Lily V6 is a jock on Rock Rage Radio. Tell them about what you do on Rock Rage. I have my own show. It's called Hot Licks with Lily Six. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, only on Rock Rage Radio. You can go to rockrageradio.com or download the free app to your phone. I have I have interviewed Plush, the all-girl uh, new <sighs> rock band. So you will hear their interview this Thursday. So tune in. Awesome. Um, all right, guys, that is pretty much it. Special thanks to Pittsburgh Kevin for hanging out with us. Next week, Keith the Hawk Hawkins will be back. We are really looking for him to come and save us because we just, uh, Lily and I, we just can't behave ourselves. <laughs> we bring in weirdos like Pittsburgh Kevin and have all kinds of problems. We just we just get out of control. Keith, Keith, Keith. We are it. the weirdos. <laughs> Anyways, guys, 
Um, I hope you, had, you guys had a good time, and we'll catch you guys all on the next Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Take care, guys. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.